Hi, I'm Fag. Wait, no, no, because I don't want to use the fag already. I don't want to use the one fag per episode already in the intro. Start over. Okay, I got it. All right. Three, two, one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait, what? The headphones fell off. Oh my God. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> this is so much. Okay, 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 okay. Okay. Um, Hello and welcome to the Gen Side Podcast. I am... Oh, fuck. I forgot what I was going to say. This what? is messy. This is almost as messy as Suspiria 2018. I know. Um... No, I'm not going to do that. The thought I just had was I was going to say I'm a straight insurrectionist, but that's not going to be, that's not good. <laughs> it's not going to go over well. Um, <laughs> Hi, I'm the cross-dressing uncle that gets too drunk and shows his pussy at Christmas, Matt. Hi, I'm Kibby. And Hi. we are the Dead Inside podcast. Oh my god, now I'm going to have to edit out this face because I didn't know the thing pulled up. Fuck! I also, I, I, hold on, wait, what is, what? Wait, wait, <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> oh my god, who cried? Oh, it's the, it's the alcohol. Oh, it sure is. Oh, this okay. one, Miss Kippy? <laughs> this is going to be a doozy. <laughs> okay, let's, let's try one more time, one more time. Hello and welcome to the Denside Podcast. I'm your lesbian nanny that has a fling with your mom, Matt. And I'm your non-binary friend with no sense of self-identity otherwise, Kibby. Ah. And welcome to the Dead Inside Podcast, the podcast where we decide if the classics and not-so-classics of horror are as dead inside as we are, and also we drink a lot. Um, so this week, Kirby, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, this week we're talking about Suspiria 2018, the remake of the 1977 Dario Argento Giallo classic Suspiria. Not to reveal myself so early, but I didn't even realize it was an Argento film. <laughs> yes, yes, this is this is the Argento film. Or- also, it's the drunk episode part two, Electric Boogaloo. Yes, it's the day after Thanksgiving. It's Black Friday. We're celebrating. And we don't have a problem. Thank you. Even though, even after this, there's another drunk episode coming up. (laughs) (laughs) No, we um, we're celebrating Black Friday by being degenerates. Absolutely. And And by that, we mean that I am in full drag. Not a joke. Straight up. Full geesh. Um, And Mr. Kerbo over there is drinking along with me because I'm a bad influence. So here's the breakdown, you silly little faggots. Um, (laughs) So uh, uh, Kibi and I tried to watch this movie, I think a couple days ago. We both got drunk and tried to watch it. Don't judge us. But what happened is it was so boring, weird, and uncomfortable that I was hungry, drunk, and sleepy. So I said, after an hour, no, it's a wrap. 
Yeah, I did not go into this movie with the right headspace. Um, and for our audience, Matt had seen it once before. This was against my will. I was trying to have sex. <laughs> yeah, which which checks out for the, the I think both of our opinions uh, of this movie, uh, which as usual are different, but in this case we we align on a lot more than we did for like the exorcist for example i was gonna say it's Um, different but similar (laughs) different but similar i had my second watch of this movie just now um and um so it's fresh in my head right and i watched while you were sleeping (laughs) and put on little makeup (laughs) yes which is completely fair because I feel like I um, I took pages and pages of notes and I feel like I just wasted my time. And, I, you know, that's a really strong thing to say for me. I, I usually don't have such strong negative opinions. It takes um, a lot. And I for, really wanted to like this movie. Right. It takes a lot for Kerbo to have, like, really forceful negative opinions of a movie. Um, I'm going to talk about it as much as I can, but I'm basically here to be the drunk hater. And Kibby took the bullet and watched it. Let's say, even though I did technically watch it before, so I vaguely remember some stuff. Again, I would just like to mention that my then boyfriend had me watch it and then fell asleep. And then I was forced to watch the whole like three hour movie. (laughs) I didn't even realize that was his choice. Well, okay. So first he suggested Kill Bill, which was a plus. And then he suggested Suspira, which Kivi, if you knew which excess was, you would be like, yes, that aligns with that bullshit. Sure. I can already, I can already imagine. Yes, I'm going to cut this out, but it was... <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, so I'm picky when it comes to remakes only in as far as a remake tends to need to have a vision behind it to be not a ripoff of the original and also not completely devoid of a point. Right, I mean, I agree. Also, I don't mean to be that guy. Or that girl, because I'm in drag. But um, I don't, I'm kind of a purist. Like, if the original ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, I don't want to hear anything about the Rob Zombie remakes of Halloween. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to entertain it. I don't want to see it. I don't care if everyone thinks they're good. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, actually, Rob Zombie, I was alerted uh, to this yesterday. Rob Zombie is doing a remake of The Monsters. Hmm. Uh, That checks out for me. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, I hate, hate it. it I hate that idea. I love the monsters. I grew up on the monsters, and they. I, I hate a Rob Zombie version of the monsters con- yeah. conceptually as much as I hate, um, like, uh, or I, I shouldn't say that actually. The Adams Family remakes, like, I'm a purist when it comes to okay, the Adams Family television series. But I do that, that. Um, I I think is totally valid to enjoy the more recent ones and they definitely have their own thing going on they're not trying to be the original series and that's fine a remake does not have to be going for what the um what the subject the original subject was going for but it does i I think think it should bring true to it yeah it needs to at least understand um, the source material and I I don't trust Rob Zombie to understand the source material I don't think Rob Zombie but... 
I think what happens is that straight men very seldom understand camp and Rob Zombie certainly doesn't. <laughs> Let's put it that That's, way. Yeah, and I think that was also the problem with Suspiria 2018 for that matter. But it's that, right, for, for, um, for a mid-20th century television show, there is going to be some degree of camp. Um, same with Lost in Space, which has a Netflix remake that's been out for a couple of years, I think, that I have a similar complaint with that, that um, it doesn't capture what was so good about the original. It captures mm-hmm. everything else, but not what was really truly memorable um, about it and likable about it, because just because something has a vision doesn't necessarily mean it is likable or enjoyable to watch. Right. Um, and that being said, shall we get into our dissection of Syria 2018? Yes, let's get into it. I'm frankly going to let Kibby lead because there's a lot happening in my household. Uh, there's a lot of noise. Also, um, again, as I said, I watched an hour of this recently. I mean, at some point I have watched the full thing. I don't have any experience with the original. Uh, Mr. Kirby and I decided we're not really going to reference the original. Yes, um, um, which might be surprising because the original is so um, one good, <laughs> so good, so well-renowned. And I mean, it, it is the source material, but honestly, I don't One see can watch really this remake without understanding the source material and they're like two different movies. One can watch this remake without understanding the remake, like on its own as a film. In fact, two can watch the remake and not understand it as the remake. Um, but anyway, for all of these reasons, Kibby's going to lead. I'll be a side hater and making hateful comments both to Mr. Kibbles and to the movie. Um, I'm just here to look pretty and drink. So, Okay, well, so the original film and the remake have the same premise, more or less, that a um, an American dance student in... Um, Basically, anything that could be possibly present in a lesbian narrative is this, but make it horror. We have dance studio we have witches and we also have like uh post-world war ii europe (laughs) right yeah um the original is about Susie banyan she's an american dance student um attending a dance academy in berlin no not not in berlin but in germany in in both movies in both movies uh the main character Susie banyan attends a dance academy in germany and she is part of a cast of international dance students we're all kind of adjusting to each other and um basically through some detective work mostly not from Susie herself but from another character Sarah it comes to light that the academy is run by witches and that is about where the similarities end between the original and the remake your remake, Susie Banyan, is still American. Susie Banyan is not serving cunt, first of all. She's not I'd serving like to say cunt. that. I'd like to say that the original Susie serves cunt with her outfit and her acting and her over-the-topness, which I haven't even barely seen the movie, but I know that. And the new Susie Banyan, sorry, not interested. Even though she's a redhead and everyone knows I'm a redhead in drag. I'm not interested. I'm not obsessed. I don't live. Yeah, it's worth saying that. Um, and her wig for, fucking sucks. 
Sorry. Her wig, her wig is pretty bad. Her wig yeah. is whack. So, so it's worth saying that in the original, um, or as far as the original is concerned, you don't even really necessarily have to watch it to recognize the iconography that's associated with it, um, that's associated with Italian giallo films in general. You could probably just see a single still from the original Suspiria and understand what it's about. Um, right. I mean, meaning- also there's the iconic still of um, Susie holding the knife and looking really concerned. And it's a fantastic piece. I mean, Argento is an auteur, let's say, of, you know, filmmaking, especially because he basically pioneered the European horror film, right? Which, what the fuck is the name? Giallo? Giallo. Giallo, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, Argento basically pioneered or popularized Giallo. And for the entire 60s, European horror was the forefront of horror. I don't think I would consider this the forefront of horror, this modern tape. It's almost Let's not say. a horror film at all. It's boring. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't think it was. I, I admire the remake for what it's trying to be. And um, the remake was. The screenplay was by a David Kaganich. I'm that pronunciation Oops. might be wrong. The director was Luca Guadagnino. That's a hot name, though. I do have to say, I'm not usually this bad with names, but he um, was the director of Call Me by Your Name, notably. Oh, okay. So we can get into that later. But Call Me by Your Name is a beautiful film. This is not a beautiful film. I have not seen that one, but I, I have heard amazing. Get into it off the pod. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, it also Susie Ban Susie Banyan. Susie McBitch. Su- Susie McBanyan in the remake is played by Dakota Johnson of the Fifty Shades of Grey series. Who well, I'm would- sorry. I'm sorry, Miss Dakota, you're never gonna listen to this. So what the fuck do you care? Should not be an actress. She is her most ha- iconic line is, well, that's not true, Ellen, which is on a fucking daytime TV show off the screen. Well, it's on a screen, but not on the big screen. Like, what? I can say that. Um, okay, let's let's tackle this first conceptually. Kibby said, can you please stay on track, Miss Matt? No, Thank you. <laughs> it's not even, not even a matter of staying on track because this movie does not stay on track. Well. And for that matter, the original doesn't really stay on track all too much, just because there's not too much in terms of plot. I mean, the um, era of the late 60s, early 70s was not really about staying on track, let's say. But. Right. It's highly aestheticized. It's a fairy tale, essentially. And this remake is not that. Um, it's something far more complex and far more far more thought out, but not thought out enough. And I think that's my my kind of verdict for this remake is, is that it bites off more than I can chew as I far agree. as what it's willing on or what it's willing to tackle. I don't want to take us too far away from the plot because I feel like it's necessary to establish that. However, I do just want to say here in case I forget, it does remind me of an Ari Aster film in the sense that it bites off a lot and it it engages with a complex and rich uh backstory and concept that is not necessarily explained to the viewer and i think it suffers because of it more so than an ari aster film because i think ari aster films have more benefits for the viewer 
but yes. Right, and I um, was actually thinking that a couple hours ago while I was watching this, I was thinking about all of the ways I could compare this to Hereditary and Midsummer, because of course that's what I do basically every day with everything I ever watch. Because you're but, a faggot. Yes, and because there's a lot of, uh, there are just a lot of parallels with shot composition and the types, the types of spooky things that happen. And I'm, I won't get too far into that, but I agree that this doesn't, this movie, Suspiria 2018, doesn't have any of the payoff or as uh, satisfying payoff as Hereditary and Midsummer have. There kind of is no payoff except for the most glaring bit of payoff, which is that, um, and this is kind of where more of the crazy background and, and context comes in around this narrative and spoilers we're getting into spoilers right away this is oh right the... don't listen to this pod if you uh want to watch these movies also because i mean it's been what like four years it's been three years whatever the... three years if you haven't watched it you're listening to this pod just listen to the pod because you're not gonna watch it sorry honestly yeah i i want to get right into the big twist because i don't think this movie is enjoyable unless you know the twist I don't think I would have even finished this movie at all if I didn't know the twist, but the twist is that, um, which in the remake, the plot, which is much richer, is um, there's basically a a schism going on where uh, the coven in charge of the You know, normal European shit, schisms, (laughs) etc. The the coven that's in charge of the school, which is in Berlin during the Cold War, um, in the remake, it's it's set there with the Berlin Wall right in front of the school, very subtle. This coven is electing a new leader. We've got Tilda Swinton as Madame Blanc. She's, I guess, our- Oh, and an old uh, Jew, apparently. Well, Mother Marcos? No, she plays the guy in like a mask. The oh, oh my god! Yeah, we're gonna yes. have to get into that. We're gonna have, we're gonna have to not to bring that up. We're gonna have to pack that away and treat that separately. <laughs> but oh, I don't even. Yeah, I don't even know how to approach that. That was very strange. Um, weirdest side plot ever for this movie, but we'll continue. And not a very necessary side plot, but yeah. So you got Madame Blanc. That's Tilda Swinton. She's. I guess the good guy when it comes to villains, she's still a villain, maybe like an anti-villain, I would call her. Yeah. And then you have Mano Marcos, who isn't shown until the end of the movie, but she's kind of the big bad of uh, most right. of the coven. She's kind of the uh, supreme, so to speak, of the coven. Although there's a lot of dissidence about whether or not she should be replaced. Right, because the election that they have um, at the beginning of the movie wins by three votes and so there are about half and half supporting Marcos and Blanc but we're it seems supposed to kind of side with Blanc and Susie is in the middle of this and so are we and so is everybody else and that is a major theme uh, part of a major theme what I would say is the theme of this movie is balance and the necessity of maintaining balance um, mm-hmm. of power. So the Cold War bit 
is kind of on the nose taking that into consideration (laughs) Uh, i wasn't a huge fan of that also probably the most glaring difference between the remake and the original is that the original is known for using very um high contrast strange colors very aestheticized in a vibrant way and this is the exact opposite this is a a cold war movie uh originals fun and this one's not (laughs) yes and my first my first thought seeing the setting was oh no yeah i mean it kind of i mean it does give the I mean, the modern plague that has been here since like the 2010s, which is we must make everything gray, weird, and serious. Yeah, and I really, I I didn't want to judge this by that. Um, Which has leaked further than sci-fi and horror, I will say. Now, like if you see a Marvel movie, everything simply must be in grayscale and cold and distant, which also marvel sorry marvel's the death of cinema thank you um but i mean i definitely agree that this trend of gritty realism needs to end i suspiria doesn't quite push it suspiria 2018 doesn't quite um get to that level of grittiness they it's still a highly aestheticized movie there are a lot of aspects of its realism that i appreciate the setting of the school itself even though it's not kind of this whimsical I don't know Willy Wonka-esque colorful setting like it is in the original um it's very art deco the sets are still striking even though they're more realistic the dance rooms particularly I think are rather iconic um the with the mirror paneling with the doors that sometimes exist and sometimes don't because witches have all sorts of powers in this movie everything else about it um aesthetically is calling to themes of motherhood themes of schism diversion and themes of sisterhood as well sisterhood as well i mean kind of kind of not to generalize, but it's kind of about womanhood and about like the connection between women. Um, you know, as basically as anything that involves witches is that's not written by a man who's clueless. Yeah, actually, it's it's probably good to start bringing up um, some of the motherhood, sisterhood, and I guess what I can only really call lesbianism lesbianism <laughs> uh i i think yeah th- that's that's the the trinity of focus for this movie start off we start off with, with a very confusing scene which is dr clumper who is played by tilda swinton um, right oh yeah tilda swinton is okay for some reason, Tilda Swinton plays a man and they just put her, they don't put her in fucking drag. They just put her in a mask and then I guess like throw baggy clothes over her. And there's no reason Tilda Swinton has to play this man, especially because this man is German. <laughs> I really don't think it was the right move. It made to, no sense. Yeah. And frankly, someone who couldn't act could have done what Tilda Swinton was doing. Like, that's not a dig on Tilda Swinton as an actor 
in general, but it is a dig on this because it's just her role was not meant for stand out. It's not meant for, it's not stand out. I would say for a, for a female actress who is playing a male character in like full prosthetic makeup, she does a great job of conveying emotion uh, and he's a likable character i guess we could have just gotten an old man they could have and and should have who can move his face (laughs) right because that's i don't know um i i think a lot of people might find that distracting and i've heard i've heard people review this movie and say that they didn't find it distracting i personally found it very distracting um i was not a fan (laughs) although i think that as a character he's really important and probably has some of the best scenes in the movie but oh, okay we should also mention this director is gay which i guess kind of gives him some credit for whatever yeah. he produced here and whatever produced and call me by your name regardless of your feelings yes i say tentatively tentatively but it also indicates why he doesn't understand women sorry <laughs> yeah i'm i'm gonna at this point yeah. i would like to remind the audience that i said i would be a hater and nothing else <laughs> yeah yeah and i'm i'm gonna continue to try to not bash this because i do oh so we're I falling know. into the classic dead inside dichotomy got it <laughs> yes i okay let's 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 get through the plot and and i'll i'll start complaining i'm sure as we go um we start off with dr klumper he's Mm. a psychiatrist or psychologist you know these fuckers don't care about the difference these these film fuckers (laughs) said those are the same thing thank you he writes a prescription doesn't he so in theory psychiatrist i guess so he uh is treating patricia who is one of the main characters who isn't really a main character but she's one of the most important characters in the movie she goes to his office has a confusing conversation with him basically um she's hinting that the and she is a student um not a student because it's not a dance academy in the remake it's a dance company Mm -hmm. the marcos dance company she's in the dance company and she is um, oh also she's clearly uh grace moretz so i also remember I mean, I saw this a couple of years ago, so I think she was a little more relevant then, but I also remember thinking, oh, so one of the most currently relevant people just dies off in the first three seconds. Got it. Yes, a scream move. Yes. Well, sort of. I, I guess Tilda Swinton, though, was the... I was going to um, say, Tilda Swinton and... Um, Dakota Johnson, arguably. I I think... <laughs> I think they're arguably the more uh, awarded cast members but for me in what was it 2019 when I was watching this a little faggot who didn't even realize he wanted to dress in drag I think probably Chloe Moretz Grace was the, I don't even think that's her name who cares whatever Chloe Grace Moretz whatever <laughs> I said yeah. it right. it's fine you said anyway. it right please yeah. continue please continue with the main part of this pod main the main part of this little podcast if you want it's so difficult because this movie is so all over the place we start off right because uh, well there are like technically two plots one plot never the i guess the b plot although it takes up like a good part of the movie never really resolves into anything and then the other plot doesn't really resume 
being a plot until the end. Yeah, that so Tarantino-esque well, ending. But again, I get ahead of my co-host who's trying desperately to contain <laughs> this podcast. It's 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 more like I'm trying to contain my thoughts because I, I don't even want to talk about the B plot. I, I don't really want to talk about um about Plemper's like plight, unfortunately. Uh, I just didn't find it all that engaging not compelling not interesting not unique and also like not really founded in much of anything and there's no real answers so it's it grounds the it doesn't even ground it's grounded in the setting of of 1977 berlin but that's it um but basically dr klemper's wife was went missing in world war ii and he doesn't know where she went what happened to her if she was alive he finds out at the end that she died and um, they are in west berlin i believe and he makes a trip into east berlin yeah he has a country home in east berlin right and uh his his wife anka we find out at the very end through uh susie that she died shortly like very soon after they, they parted ways so that's kind of all that's going on there as as far as what I could pick up anyway but as far as the main plot goes um Chloe Moretz Patricia is talking to Dr. Klemper about all sorts of weird stuff but uh the the takeaway is that the ladies at the um the dance company are witches and they are grooming some of the younger dancers who are not witches um, Patricia goes missing shortly after, and that's written right. off as um, her being involved in some of the terrorism going right. on in Berlin during that time. And the- Which, to be fair, is a lot. Yes. Uh, because, believe it or not, people are not happy with the situation that they've been forced into. <laughs> right. Right. Anyway. So we then get the intro, the opening credits, which I think are fantastic honestly um to to the point where they're kind of disappointing they're kind of better than the movie which is insane in retrospect (laughs) oh before before um actually getting into that one last quick thing is that the 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 one notable thing about dr klemper's story the b the b plot is that he has a vision i i'm assuming is being sent a vision of anka that he uh he kind of has a night with her and she's played by Jessica Harper who played Susie in the original Suspiria. So that was very strange. It was kind of cool. Kind of, catch that. It kind of felt uh, like, like it didn't really matter too much, but back to the intro credits, the intro credits look great. The score really shines here. The score by Tom York of Radiohead, which I like some Radiohead. I'm not, too familiar with them i really like tom york as an artist i think he killed it in this um movie and the Mm. intro song specifically is very fitting it's very it's a well-balanced song tonally it's 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 sensitive it's simple and and melancholy the imagery we have is of dakota johnson's susie's i keep calling her just her actress's name Um, i mean who gives a fuck who gives a fuck? <laughs> I didn't even it, watch the movie Doll. <laughs> you did, though. You did twice. I you know, and it. I still couldn't tell you anything. 
and I, I'm feeling similarly. But uh, I only know this because Amazon told me that um, the, that scene is of Susie's mother dying because Susie in this version is a former Mennonite from Ohio. Right, okay, so we get... That's the other thing that I want to read right now. So, like, I'm just over all this bullshit of, like, Susie is, like, on the frontier and you're like, what decade is this? And obviously they're Mennonite, so it's like, okay, they're supposed to be Mennonite, I guess, but, like, not all Mennonite dress like that. It, like, looks more Amish, but Amish makes no sense for someone who's going out and then, like, staying in the world because that doesn't happen. But, like, how many Mennonite people do you know that dress in fucking bonnets? Like... So, okay, so that I can say... I I, I don't have too much experience interacting with with people who are Mennonites. I, I just I remember a some. girl who was Mormon in my high school who I talked to and who was bi and then told me that she didn't believe in gay marriage. And oh, well, that's I, Mormonism, though. Mormonism is Mennonite, isn't it? No. What? Mennonites are are a sub, a sub, I don't want to say subsect, although that might, hold on. Mennonite. Um, not me problematizing the pod. <laughs> Okay, Men- Mennonites are a, are a group that um, split away. They explain this for like 30 seconds in this movie. <laughs> and then it's like not ever mentioned again. But why um, does everything have to be insanely Christian? That makes no sense. Why would she be a dancer then? Why would she be a whore? <laughs> so let's so let's let's get into the the, the twist because that sure. is we're gonna need that to really make sense of anything else that happens because this movie sure. is carried by the twist and by foreshadowing. The twist is that um, the two heads of the dance company, Blanca and Marcos, as witches, they were said to be yielded from a from one of three mothers and I'm blanking on all of the names except for the important one. Um, one is Mother of Tears, one is Mother of Let's see. yeah and the important one is the mother of size uh Sisperiorum. we find out at the end or toward the end of Sisperi 2018 that Susie herself is mother Sisperiorum, and it's supposed to be um open-ended whether she has been mother Sisperiorum this whole time or or rather has she been aware this whole time or not and that doesn't really pan out. Um, I think part of her being a Mennonite or a former Mennonite is a plot device to kind of make it make sense that Susie doesn't have kind of a lot of um, social skills. She doesn't have a lot of knowledge of what's going on in the world around her. She seems not, not just surprised by the fact that people around her are upset about the violence going on in Berlin, but just kind of doesn't understand continuously. She fails to understand just like how people around her are feeling, what they mean, what they've experienced in relation to her experiences. She's tactless. (laughs) She's kind of annoying. um, And her lines are not delivered very well, but they're also not written really well either. I mean, it's really a toss-up as to which is the fault. Is it Dakota Johnson's acting? Which, frankly, sorry, haven't seen anything she's good in. But aside from that, it is also like, is this written well? Because like a lot of the stuff is just like, I feel like it's the directing too. Like, 
let's get into too much of a rant to derail the plot, but like in Call Me By Your Name, a lot of what way there's kind of like a lot of like soft spoken lines to each other, but it's like an artsy film, so it works to simplify it. But like in this, where you need to know a little more and like the acting needs to be a little further up, it's just like it doesn't work. It's not successful. A lot of it's confusing. There's no real chemistry between anyone. Except, and this is, I, I guess, a hot take for me. Tilda Swinton's character, Madame Blanc, she has crazy chemistry with Olga, the character Olga, who I do agree. A- appears very shortly and dies horribly in one of the more memorable scenes. We'll, we'll get to that. They have really great chemistry. Otherwise, I totally agree with you. Nobody has chemistry in this in this film whatsoever. Uh, everyone seems like they're talking to somebody they've never met in their lives. Right. Which for some cases makes sense. For others, it doesn't. Um, the chemistry between the, the coven itself, uh, though, as well, is pretty good. I, I would say more than anyone, Dakota Johnson... Uh, doesn't have chemistry with the, the other actors, which could, I guess, conceivably be connected to the idea of her being this pre-Christian witch mother. I just feel like it's not explained enough. I'm sorry. I just feel like it's not explained enough for it to be that. I just think they didn't, they either didn't give her enough direction or she's just a bad actress. I don't know. I would, I would go with the former before the latter although i also agree that just her delivery is not i don't i don't have very much um insight as far as her acting and i just feel like if she had a better wig maybe she'd act better i don't know personally so (laughs) susie gives really good energy i think for what they're trying to do um i mean it does give a similar it gives an adjacent vibe to 50 shades of gray in the sense of like the character she had there Versus now is very like it's supposed to be soft spoken. It's supposed to be naive, and she um, kind of she she grows in energy as right. the movie goes. She grows in confidence, Agreed. which is really well done. Um, but the dialogue is never all that good. Yeah, and she she's I don't know. She doesn't some lines she delivers really strangely. The one example I have in my notes and in my head is when she's asking Sarah, the um, one of the other dancers, whether she felt something in her groin area while she was dancing, which was a strange conversation in the first place, a strange conversation to include in the script. Again, men just trying to imagine what women discuss, which is so insane that gay men just come up with the same thing that straight men would come up with. Yeah. So from the second we meet Susie, she's she's a blander version of the original Susie. She's a blander version of uh, Jessica Harper, and I'm I'm sure that's intentional because she's a former Mennonite. But also the only reference, one of two references we get to that verbal references, is that well, I guess this isn't quite verbal. As soon as we see Susie, there's a shot of the envelope she's holding that has like the emblem of the Mennonite church that shows up for probably literally two seconds. And then later right. she talks to Tilda, Tilda Swinton about it as well for like 30 seconds. But I honestly think before she talked to Tilda Swinton, I just thought 
like she had been alive this long because it was about witches and i was like okay so she's a witch so she's just been alive since yeah like immigrating here and like the fucking i don't know like 14 or 1500s you know right because there's nothing in these or very little in these scenes uh the glimpses we get of her life as a mennonite that really tie uh the setting and events to reality and um and and i feel like miss lucas said oh she's american if we put her in these clothes everyone will know what she is but that's very possible i don't think that's the reality of the situation it's it's possible not maybe not probable but susie gets to the school she's a, a fish out of water and like i mentioned before uh, in the original I, I think that's something that argento is tr- trying to roll with is we don't just have susie as a foreigner we have susie and everybody else they're all from different countries same with this remake as well but yeah so in the remake everybody's from a different country that you don't get that sense of of weirdness of being a fish out of water except from uh susie's perspective so we have susie to be our our eyes and ears um i guess as the narrative goes and Mm -hmm. she kind of comes from this background this nebulous background wants to be a dancer is really ambitious also it's kind of the ranks um, very quickly i agree it's also kind of good you know when you're i mean luca is italian as far as i know and then you know argento was italian obviously and it's good to have someone who is an outsider as your uh main look into all of it i mean not just for narrative purposes because obviously susie comes in and doesn't realize the culture of the witches but you know or does she? Whoa. Um, but aside from that, you know, uh, having an outsider in Berlin and being able to describe stuff about that, you know, obviously is useful narratively. Yes. Um, it does have that benefit of being a little more straightforward. And it gives it a, a kind of an edge of like, everybody knows what's going on but me. Uh, right. But I can totally relate to watching this. She starts rising in the ranks of this dance company she lands herself um, by impressing Madame Blanc the role of the protagonist of Madame Blanc's new dance number right just like me on the podcast role of the um protagonist we're all we're all up and coming here we're all the main character (laughs) so Kim said actually we're all the protagonist (laughs) we're all we're all we're all the winners right and Susie especially, um, Susie, like in the original, doesn't do very much detective work. She, her, her role in the story is limited to her relationship with Sarah and with um, Blanc, especially Blanc, though. There's kind of this cat and mouse deal going on where they're being catty toward each other and you're not totally sure why. It could be for a couple different reasons. And then later, we our, our big climax at the end of the film, or near the end, is... Um, we find a crumpled body of <laughs> Patricia. Well, yes, Sarah finds the crumpled body of Patricia, and Olga, who um, in an earlier scene, a really 
shockingly graphic scene and kind of in my humble opinion exploitive scene uh she gets smashed up and contorted and and completely wrecked but not killed right which we we do see earlier on another student who's pissed off gets uh, very graphically brutalized while they're dancing like dancing is like a witch thing that causes some distortion of the enemy's body let's say like and a voodoo it, doll it's right which yeah. this this then proves that they're not dead they're just contorted beyond belief and they're boxes. being <laughs> yeah they're they're kind of imprisoned in hidden uh rooms with uh mother marcos right who, who we don't get the full reveal until uh, the, the ritual at the right, end. Right, which we, we find Miss Patricia during, like, the final... Um, oh, what the fuck do you call it? It's not the rehearsal, it's the recital. We find the, big, during, the big dance number, yeah. Yes, during the big uh, recital is when we find Patricia. I don't remember who goes looking for her, but... Sarah does. Sarah goes looking for right. her. Sarah is the one who goes to Dr. Klemper, and, uh, and she, she was friends yeah. with Patricia more than anyone else. And she basically goes looking around and finds a dungeon where the box is with Patricia. Yes. And Mother Marcos is there in a bed, kind of obscured by right. strings. <laughs> strings. For lack of a prop, word. mama. Prop. A prop. Some kind of prop. Sarah then gets hypnotized, brainwashed. Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> whatever you want to call it. And then she, Patricia, and Olga um, right. are then part of a ceremony where they're sacrificed and that's where the climax happens and that is where the big reveal happens that Susie is mother Susperiorum and has been this whole time whether she knew that or not which I guess do I now get into uh why by the logic of this movie neither of those neither of those could be correct (laughs) Yeah, maybe get into like what the actual ending of the movie is and then we can get into what's correct or not because the actual ending is how how would you say a clusterfuck (laughs) yes it's filmed strangely strangely and like not just strangely but so differently from the rest of the movie it's uh, yes okay so yeah it's, it's worth mentioning that uh as Mother Susperiorum intercepts this ritual, she just starts like exploding anyone who was in support of Marcos. Right, which remind me, and I guess the audience, how do they find the dungeon that Marcos is in? Like, I know that they find the box that Miss Chloe Moretz, Grace, Grace Moretz, who gives a shit, is in. But I think then further down is the one that Marcos is in, but I don't remember how like everyone enters into that. I should know since I just watched it, but who gives a fuck? Eventually, the main characters that are important to the film enter. (laughs) Yeah, Susie. Susie comes in. She's like, I I don't remember quite if she's drawn there or or. I don't remember, but she's there. there. She's there, and then it's basically like the elder witches are all there with Marcos, who they put in like this. Do you remember who the secretary from Monsters Inc. is? Oh my god, that's who I was thinking of. That is literally. I don't remember what her name is, but that is literally what Marcos looks like in this movie, which I, I do have to say, even given what I just said, is camp. <laughs> that, that was is, camp. Yeah. That was, re- that truly was camp. Yeah, she's she's this horrible, grotesque, lumpy 
flesh monster. Uh, there, there are repeated references throughout the movie to um, the idea that she's dying, that she's kind of like holding on, but her body is a prison, it's described. And right. she's basically they need a new um they need a new leader sooner than later uh-huh. and, and that is Susie Banyan apparently from Ohio but, he said, but, well I guess they picked the bitch from Ohio I wouldn't <laughs> and then Susie uh, or mother's hysteriorum I guess uh, right. tells Plumper that his wife died in World War II and he cries Awkwardly. That. Everyone's naked. Everyone's. Oh well, yeah, they. That was that was after the fact. I guess. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. I apologize. No, this is impossible to talk about. Marcos is lumpy. Susie is superior, and then I guess takes that identity for the rest of the movie or whatever after the movie. The duration. Let's say. Yeah. And so that I I would like to talk about um. I would like I would like to talk about Susie's performance as a character who could technically be one or the other, meaning Susie who doesn't realize she's Susperiorum or Susperiorum who's pretending to be Susie, and mm-hmm. going the, 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 this kind of weaves into the rest of the narrative uh, with its themes of dichotomy. And pussy. And pussy. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as technical technical production goes and, and artistic production, the um, the scenes are set in a really interesting way when they are trying to kind of capture that theme of balance, um, especially the balance between gritty realism and kind of more um, chaotic realism. Right where scenes are really cluttered and really busy characters are look all very different they're all doing different things and saying different things in different ways at the same time and so I liked that about this movie I I liked Mm -hmm. that there is at least some recognition that reality is not just bleak it can also be busy Mm -hmm. that that's not always um pulled off in movies like this but Susie herself, there is that question of, does she know she's Suspiriorum? And um, I'm going to go with she was sh- she knows the whole time because okay. that's what makes more sense than the other. But yeah. neither really makes sense. Well, I was going to say it also doesn't make sense because then why is she naive in the beginning? Right. So she's... I, I, I kind of... Um, figured that was her trying to act like she doesn't know what's going on like kind of protest too much maybe mm-hmm. like oh i'm just a the bitch stuff protest too much yeah I, i'm a mennonite i don't know what this is i'm in berlin now yay uh however when uh when she impresses wonk by being able to do um patricia's part that she uh, wouldn't have been prepared for she has dinner with Blanc she talks about being a Mennonite but she's very catty about it right. and they're very catty to each other about it which makes sense coming from Blanc because uh, Blanc is really she, she's, she conveys a lot of 
complex emotions and a, a complex perception of Susie where it's kind of like, okay, this is a really talented but really suspicious young dancer who's kind of taking my dance and doing something with it that right. um, I don't have control over. And th also they're trying to groom her like the other dancers. Uh, but Susie right. especially shows this power that the others don't. Mm -hmm. and, and and yeah, and so, so it makes some sense too that Susie would be like, why are we talking about the fact that the Mennonites and the Amish are different? And why, why are we talking about my past? Like, let's not talk about that. Why are you asking me about that? Um, and then there's the, the line that she gives in response to Tilda Swinton's, I don't know why I keep going between actor and character. By, Who cares? Uh, Blanc asks her what she was feeling physically when um, she was doing Patricia's part of the dance. Mm. And Susie responds by saying, I felt like what I imagine it feels like to fuck. Uh -huh. To which Blanc replies, you mean with a man? And Susie says, um, I was thinking more of an animal. So a man. So well, that, that I was like, okay, so is she trying to compensate for the fact that she's perceived as religious and conservative mm -hmm. by, be, by being very not that? Or is she, does she want to hide the fact that she is Hesperiorum or does she want to, I guess... If Susie is trying to hide the fact that she's a Spiriorum, it's reasonable that she's on edge about the Mennonite bit and about digging into her past. But the animal part makes sense as she's trying to prove herself as not conservative or religious. It doesn't make sense if she's trying to hide the fact that she is a Spiriorum. I feel like have both. trying to hide the fact that you're Suspiriorum, there's just not enough basis. And I know I said I didn't rewatch this, but I've seen the whole movie, whatever. I just don't, I don't feel like there's enough basis for it textually, let's say. And I feel like where that's where this movie falls flat in a lot of ways, because it's like when you raise a doubt, but there's not enough textual evidence for the other option, it's like, okay, well, whatever. It's not two options that's like, okay, well, we're going to believe the one. Right. And, and I think that what they were going for in the first place was just, we, we don't know and we can't know, but that Hate doesn't it. make, yeah, it doesn't, for one boot, thing, boot, boot. Yeah. For one thing, when we do that, then like, what are the stakes? What am I supposed to care about? Who am I supposed to care about right. and why? Which it, it, to the movie's defense, I guess, like, when you have something like that it's like okay well for the first watch it doesn't matter because you're there for the ride and I, I know that not every movie is like obsessed with rewatchability but I do think you should have something especially if you're gonna be this kind of director that makes things that are like quote unquote you need to think about it or you need to process it you should have in mind that second watches are a thing if you want it to be processed in that way in this movie while the first watch you're at least along for the ride 
it doesn't have rewatchability. And I think if you're going to have that highbrow thing, you need to think about rewatchability. An Ari Aster film has rewatchability. There's a million different things you can find out in a second, third, fourth watch. In this movie, when you watch it the second time, you're like, none of this makes sense. And I don't enjoy it. You know, at least the first time, even if you're not like living for it, you're like, okay, well, this is interesting. I kind of want to know what's happening. And it doesn't give it to you and you rewatch it and you're like, okay, well, I still don't know. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that the fatal flaw of this movie is that it didn't want to decide and because it didn't want to decide and because it's dealing with such a broad, wide scope of um, potential ideas and potential truths, it can't deliver on any of them other than just the fact that Susie is a sperioram. And aside from and that- And barely that. And barely that. And and none of it really does matter if, if it and was... also yeah sorry sorry continue no you're good none I was of just it... gonna, yeah no you go no 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 you go mm. you go mm. <laughs> none of it matters no i just feel like <laughs> i don't even remember what i was gonna say i gotta be i'm maybe i am that's my tactic yeah um Watching the movie a second time, knowing that she's Suspiriorum doesn't, it, it doesn't clarify anything. It just makes you notice that there is something going on that takes away from any potential actual payoff or significant takeaway. I, I just, I'm not into it. I'm not obsessed with it. And quite frankly, I'm glad I didn't finish watching it. And what? Yeah, I mean, That's I- a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i can see um which i i went into this movie watching it for the first time knowing that twist already which i'm glad i was because i, I think if i hadn't uh known about it prior i i would have just been confused and that would have made me rewatch the movie and then i would have rewatched the movie and not gotten right. anything out of it anyway so i don't know it it plays sort of to this recurring theme of balance this dynamic between Blanc and Susie that's going on where mm-hmm. there's tension there's always tension of some sort of positive or negative and but it's not a true like cat mouse dynamic um I, I think if anything what the, the truth of this plot is that every character only knows what they know they don't know what anyone else knows about them or anything nobody knows what's going on (laughs) everyone only knows exactly what they are aware of and what has been communicated to them so we have a movie where the characters are not at all like on the same wavelength right meaning there's no it's not reasonable to expect the audience to be on the same wavelength as any of them because we know only as much as the characters know. Right. Um, I feel like, first of all, the B-plot had nothing to do with anything. I haven't seen the original. I, f- I think Kimmy and I would consider watching the original, although we have had this conversation about, like, <laughs> we already have, like, such a low listenership. We kind of want to be part of a more current and bigger conversation about things, certain classics, there's not all that much to talk about, right? I think Suspiria could have more to talk about because it's 
it is well known, but it's not as well known as something as, oh, I don't know, say The Exorcist. Yeah. Uh, so maybe there could be more to say, but I, th- I think for now we kind of want to focus on new stuff unless it's a holiday thing. And by that, I mean, I'm going to force Kibby to watch um, Black Christmas <laughs> for Christmas. But it, it just, it doesn't feel like a successful remake. I think I admire what they were trying to do. And I think the director was much more successful with Call Me By Your Name in many ways, but especially in the adaptation element, let's say, I feel like he was more successful there. Perhaps adapting from a book is a bit easier because it's a different uh, medium altogether than adapting from a separate film. But I just, I don't feel the cohesiveness. I don't feel... The intrigue, the B-plot is weird at best. Um, Agreed. Tilda Swinton, while probably the best part of this movie, is underutilized and weirdly utilized, and I don't like that. I don't understand the use. And uh, I I get that this was slightly an older movie, so, you know, they're trying different stuff, and I do appreciate that part of it. But I think in 2021, I'm kind of over the weird stunts. I'm over the stupid, better put, I'm over the stupid stunts. Yeah, I was not a fan of the the gore or the type of gore. Um, yes, I the think- gore is just uncomfortable. And like, I do, I do have to say, um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is 2018, which is on the tail end of it. But I do feel like 2010s perhaps I I guess early 2010s even to late 2010s very much horror movies shifted to the gory aspect making things disgusting and uncomfortable in a weird like a difficult to watch way and I I understand it's a part of that but that's not that's never been the horror movie I've been interested in personally and I think I I have to honestly say I don't think this movie even banked on that entirely so no, I can't even justify its flop with that, but two, you know. yeah, two things in in response to what you were just saying. Um, the first about the medium, about like remaking a book versus remaking a movie. I think this should have been remade as a book. I, I don't think okay. there was any way that this, which I, I don't know if that's ever been a thing. I would like to see it be a thing if they remade Suspiria as a book that would, and, and did the same approach, I think this would have worked a lot better. The, there was just way too much um, for this movie to tackle in even two and a half hours. It would not be possible to execute that in an organized way that actually has mm-hmm. meaningful payoff. The second right. thing is about the the gore and the way that the gore really doesn't match up with either the realistic or um, more whimsical, and I say that loosely, sides of, of this movie aesthetically. I think the gore, strange. the only time that the gore lines up with anything is the ending wherein it's so far removed from the rest of the movie, it's confusing. I think I would say that personally. Extremely confusing. And especially because the gore is just so extreme. Like, um, I think Mr. Kibbo mentioned this very briefly, but there's there's this scene wherein some bitch whose name I forget, it's at the very beginning, 
she's this slav who uh, i think she olga olga yes the bitch who's, the bitch who's a slav yes that one just what i said <laughs> um they she just dis- she i guess she discovers that it's basically a coven of witches and she's not happy about it and she's pissed off and she basically has a confrontation with blanc and then runs off and then when miss dakota johnson does her dance for miss leblanc or miss blanc who cares i didn't watch this movie really they basically distort this woman's body and it's extremely upsetting to watch because it's very graphic and very intense and i think that part is indicative of the 2010s of making things uncomfortable and difficult to watch uh, it makes again difficult for rewatchability in this movie and i think it makes it disjointed personally um as well as the ending which is basically quentin tarantino levels of ending violence yeah like once upon a time in hollywood level violence like it's, it's I was pretty thinking, weird oh, what's that one that's on with shoshana that oh it's basically um inglorious bastards level of violence at the end that's so insane and unnecessary and unrelated to anything else yeah that's a better uh, a better comparison thinking about it for sure yeah um which going back to Ari Aster because I can't shut up about Ari Aster, Hereditary, or Midsummer, um, and neither can I, doll. Yeah, and and thank goodness for that. Neither can I, Tiba. <laughs> Ari Aster, <laughs> you know, for all of the gore and kind of horrific imagery he has in his films, um, they never yeah. feel out of place in the reality. They at the, the very, I, I will say, at the very least they're not Tarantino-esque in the sense that they, even if there's not a lot of explanation plot-wise, they do go hand-in-hand hand with the rest of the aesthetic of the movie. Like, Midsummer, yeah. all of the deaths kind of feed the same vibe, um, which I don't think Midsummer is a great example because all of it's pretty aesthetically linked. But mm-hmm. even in Hereditary, I do feel that all the deaths even if they're slightly different vibes, like the death of the sister has a little more camp to it, I would say, than some of the other deaths, but they're they're all pretty aesthetically linked. I yeah. Don't, I don't think that can be said of Suspiria. Right. Yeah, even in Hereditary, the, um, the shots of gore or anything like that are still very saturated. Um, they're different enough to be shocking, but they're saturated and, and kind of aestheticized enough to not take you out of the movie when you're watching it right which is why Ari Aster is an auteur and this guy is <laughs> I, I think this guy works up to being an auteur perhaps. he could yeah the, this is um this is like the comment the, below do you want us to review call me by your name on the star podcast <laughs> <laughs> the gore in this movie definitely took me out of it I don't yeah. know lumpy gray corpse girls especially the end because the end is the end gives very 2000s clip art and like 2000s traumatic whatever it does it (laughs) i don't know it it all is very out of place and that that's the bottom line is this is just not a cohesive movie it can't be and and it tried it and i appreciate it for what it tried i appreciate oh i don't (laughs) i I appreciate miss luca for for what he was going for and i miss luca did what she had to do i guess but Uh, 
it's it's just a matter of it was not and, and hereditary in fairness has this problem too of of it's it's not i don't know it's not um perfect there are plenty of plot holes there's a lot that doesn't make sense but hereditary the difference is is entertaining well yes and i will also go out on a limb and say hereditary while not plot wise uh can like fully connected i will say aesthetically is fully connected and that's different than Suspiria. Suspiria is not aesthetically fully connected throughout the film. And I do think Hereditary is. Yeah, Hereditary in a much more nuanced way is uh, manages to be aesthetically cohesive. Although not plot-wise cohesive. But Definitely I will say aste- aesthetically yeah. it does hold together as one singular film. Yeah, Suspiria just got, got a little too weird with it. And that's strictly speaking on visuals, um, not even about the the nature of that particular scene itself, the, the dance um, voodoo doll scene. It's it's just too much. All of it right. is too much. This is too much. That's mm-hmm. my bottom line. That's my takeaway. That's fair. Shall this made we, me more confused about life. Shall we move on to the next part wherein we decide, is this movie dead inside? Do we see this this particular iteration of this movie lasting 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the line. I have been thinking about this. I was thinking about this the whole time I was watching it just Mm -hmm. just before recording. I don't know. I don't know. Like I have been trying to decide and, and I don't think I can because I, and maybe this speaks if anything to, um, this the nature of this podcast up. yeah it, like i i don't i don't really see this holding up because i i don't see this as um an improvement on the original which it didn't have to be by any means and shouldn't have been but i also don't see this as a very strong movie itself even aesthetically um as as stylized as it is it's stylized in a way that i i see this blending in with a lot of other cold war um uh, period films right even non-horror related you know right um I personally don't see this enduring for me personally if you're gonna make a remake you have to have the spirit of the original and make something interesting with it that's totally new I, I do think if you have a remake you should capture the spirit of the original and you should also make it interesting and new in a certain way. Um, I don't think it did either of those successfully. I mean, it, it did try, uh, most charitable reading, it did try to keep to the spirit of the original in the sense that it kept the original cast, it kind of kept the original concept. The introduction of the B-plot, I don't agree with. I think it led to nothing, like the Nazi wife well, the wife is like, I believe the wife is a Jew who got abducted. That led to nothing. You didn't need Tilda Swinton to be the man. You could have just hired a German man or a German woman in drag. By the way, drag performers can act most of the time. Just saying. I I, I just, I, I think it's pretty unsuccessful. I don't think even aesthetically it's pleasing or fun to watch or interesting to watch enough for it to be anything. I think they chose kind of the wrong players of the time to make it timeless. Does that make sense to you, Kibby? Because like there's certain 
players, there's certain actors you can pick that even though they're of their time can be kind of international. It's kind of like in the 60s picking Barbara Streisand versus mm-hmm. picking, I, I don't know, like Annie Morgan or or like uh, James Mansfield. There's a difference between picking Barbara Streisand and James Mansfield for a role. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Aside, aside from their obvious qualifications and differences, but like I think Barbara Streisand manages to let's say exceed and live out of the timeline versus someone like James Mansfield who's on the end of her timeline and I I just don't know how long Dakota Johnson let's say who's the lead of our movie is gonna really last I personally don't think very long yeah I mean maybe I'm just a hater I know I'm a hater I don't know because I I agree and I I also Didn't, don't think Tilda Swin Tilda Swanson's gonna last that long outside of Tilda maybe Swin. enough. Yeah, I don't think Tilda Swinton's gonna last that long outside of maybe five years. She's been around, so she she kind of might be at like I wouldn't necessarily. Oh, okay, that's end, fair. But... That's fair. I don't know if I can count Tilda Swinton out, but like Chloe Grace Moretz. Chloe yeah. Grace Moretz. Um, I think I can count Dakota her Johnson. out in the next decade, personally. And I think Dakota Johnson, yeah, I can count out in the next decade. Unless she comes out with like a Lady Gaga makeup line. But then for acting, yeah. I'm sorry, Miss Dakota. I'm not saying she's not beautiful, but she wasn't beautiful tonight. <laughs> um, I'm not into it. And I don't think this is, I think this is the first Dead Inside podcast, finally wherein we describe a movie that's not going to last. And I'm sure if we did the original, yes, we would, because we're two faggots who love final girls and who love that kind of nonsense. Yeah, we would decide it would last, but this is not a good remake. I would probably be down to see another remake, although I I think I need another five years. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on what you said in the beginning of the episode with um, Mm. just did does a remake like this need to exist in the first place and i i don't need suspiria 77 to be remade i it's still I fantastic what it is it's still fantastic it's like the fucking halloween i did not need halloween i mean rob zombie did it in the 2000s but i didn't need it now and i don't need it in the 2000s you know aside from that i do understand kind of like I just I'm over the like propaganda of like talking about the Cold War as like a dark time where we have horror movies. I don't care. That's not necessarily true. And if it is true, a lot of it has to do with the U.S. Aside from that, I was going to say, oh, the terrorism outside where they're like talking about the terrorism. I'm like literally any time in the 70s, this could be any country. And I feel like any other country but a European country could be much more interesting. If you put this in a Latin American country, it could be so much more interesting. If you put it in Peru, the Sendero Luminoso, which is so much more hard on the public it's so much more interesting in terms of like political stances and such. It would be a much different story and a much more complex story that Americans aren't aware of. You know what I mean? And I, I just feel like they, they picked an easy out and I'm not into it. Yeah, I think that um, I would be far more. I agree. I, I would be far more interested in a remake coming from an entirely different perspective than right. an Italian perspective or, or an American perspective, which we get both um, in this case. Mm. I I want a different setting entirely. I, I don't need the framing narrative of the Cold War as, as a, um, a foundation for a plot that ultimately can't make sense. 
that's my take on this. I agree. I so, would read this in the book. I was going to say, I think we both agree this is dead inside and we don't see it enduring. Yeah, I, I unfortunately can't see myself watching this again soon. I don't either. So, Kibby, why don't we finish up with what, what recommendations do you have for movies aside from this movie? What would you recommend instead of this movie? The original or any right. um, Argento film. I'm trying to think of more contemporary horror movies. Deep Red could be a good... Okay. Uh, substitute for an iconic Argento movie if that's what you want frankly not to be stupid and not to recommend something that's like a kids movie but the witches is a great alternative <laughs> frankly for like yeah. a witch movie that's like a horror-ish movie not yeah. not the remake but the original I would say I can say that I I don't have and this is why I'm still um not saying I straight up hate this movie or never want to see it again or that it doesn't have any merit because it has a, a kind of interesting I will say all blend things. of aesthetics. <laughs> you, you got you've got the the depressed Soviet aesthetics. You've right. you've got the kind of depressed Mennonite aesthetics, which is an interesting not contrast, but they complement each other in an interesting mm-hmm. way. And I, I don't have any alternative for that. I, I don't know where I would go for for that kind of feel elsewhere, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. <laughs> I would say go The Witches for a witch movie, or perhaps The Witch is a good alternative if that's the kind of vibe you want. I, I just, I feel like there's a lot of stuff out there you could watch aside from this, and I, I don't recommend this remake. So, you know, do you have any final thoughts, Mr. Kipster? Just that I think, the witch takes, even though it's not anything like a Suspiria and plot, aside from being about witches, the witch does take um, a much more kind of like focused, uh, truly balanced and um, sensitive overall approach to witchcraft, witchcraft, covenship. Agreed. Or even, honestly... You could even watch AHS Coven, American Horror Story Coven, and you probably would be more satisfied and interested, frankly. Than yes, I, I do agree. That, that's yeah. a good season. Mm-hmm. Well, you can find me then on socials at Emberg Horror on Twitter. Mr. Kirby, where can we find you? You can find me at guts underscore tank on Twitter, which I never use, and Instagram, which I also never use. Oh, also, please follow us on at Dead Inside Pod on Twitter because I got drunk and made us a Twitter and no one follows us except for two of us. Um, <laughs> as always, you can email us with your questions, concerns, and recommendations at the, the Dead Inside Podcast at gmail.com. Our Gmail is very dead, so please feel free to email us. And until next time, bye, uglies. Bye. Bye. I'm drunk. <laughs> I'm I'm not. I'm not I'm not for some reason. You it's sobering. And you know what? If you don't want to be, you don't have to be sister. I wanna be. And drink more doll. I am. Um, you know what? At this point, the dolls are the dolls. The dolls, yes. <laughs>